The topic tonight out of Habakkuk chapter 3, Rays of Light. Habakkuk 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Siganoth. So, this is now the third uh, chapter in his book. It becomes a prayer. Uh, the first kind of, kind of prayers, he was crying out to God, and now a specific prayer that he offers up to God. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. So he's praying, as we need to be. Lord, in the midst of the years, revive your work. Bring forth your work. Spread your gospel. Spread your word. In the midst of the years, in these end times, day by day and throughout the year, and through the troublous times, spread your work. Revive your work. Revive your people. Bring revival in our hearts and reformation to our souls. And in wrath, remember mercy. So we're talking last days here, as we'll see in the next several verses. <clears throat> and so as he's seeing into the future, he's asking for God's work to be revived in these last days. For God's people to come together to be on fire for the Lord and to go forth and spread his word in the midst of a degenerate generation. And that's where we're living right now and it's just getting worse. I mean, it's just off a cliff. And we're going down fast as a culture, as a people, as a nation, as a world. Revive your work, wake up your people. God's people have become asleep as well. God's people have basically grabbed hold of the shirt tail of the world and are going down with it. In some ways, participating in, in, in just, we're just like always one day behind. The world does something stupid and then we do the same stupid thing. The world endorses some crazy lifestyle and then we follow and do the same thing. The world begins watching some music or, or listening to some music or watching some movie and then we follow and we do the same thing. We're copying the culture of this world. And Habakkuk is praying, Lord, revive your work in the midst of these years and make your work known. Make your name known. Make your truth known in the world. God is calling for a people that will be reformed and revived and set forth to do his work. And in these last days, God's wrath will come upon the world and God's wrath will come upon God's people. While right now the world is leading the way and God's people are following, trying to catch up continually, judgment will begin, not with the world, but judgment will begin with the professed house of God, with the professed people of God. And in God's wrath, he's praying, God, in your wrath. I know your wrath is coming. I know your judgment upon this world is coming. But in your wrath, remember mercy is Habakkuk's prayer. And that should be our prayer as well. As we see the horrible stuff taking place around us, Lord, have mercy upon these people. 
wake them up, change them, revive them, transform them, change them. Remember mercy. We can only pray for God to remember mercy if we have mercy in our own hearts. And we can only have mercy in our own hearts if we ourselves have received and accepted and experienced God's mercy for ourselves. If we've acknowledged that we're sinners, if we've realized we've committed sins and that we are sinful against God, and we've confessed our sins and have seen them in light of the Messiah's death, have seen them in the price that it caused, have seen them in the results they manifest, in the death to self, in the death of God, and cry out for God's forgiveness, and receive his forgiveness and receive his mercy, then we will have mercy towards others as well. God will give us mercy. Habakkuk experienced that, was filled with mercy, thus he prayed back to God, have mercy upon them as you had mercy upon me. Remember in wrath, remember mercy. Verse 3, God came from Timnah, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. This is a very similar prayer as is written in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, where Moses wrote, The Lord came down from Sinai and dawned upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the 10,000 of his holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Out of God's hand, out of God's right hand, flaming fire proceeded before him. When he came down on Mount Sinai, when he presented his law, when he shone forth from Mount Paran, which is southeast, mentioned the southeast coming from the east, also Timnah from the southeast, down by Mount Sinai, God shone forth in the wilderness with flaming fire at his right hand. Referring to God coming on Mount Sinai and the whole mountain shaking and the whole mount on fire and God giving his law and God speaking forth his law. And then to those who were rebellion and disobedient, worshiping a golden calf and self in a debauchery and lust and perversions, his judgment came down upon them. And so similar at the end time, God will come, glory will fill the heavens, and the earth will be filled with his praise. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord of lords. Now, some confession will be a forced confession, an acknowledgement that he is Lord, he is right, but it won't be a repented confession. Just be an acknowledgement. Like Judas, I have betrayed innocent blood, but unrepentant that he did it. But a forced acknowledgement. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light, back in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 4, his brightness was like the light, and he had rays flashing from his hand. There, his power was hidden in his hand. 
In his hand, his power is hidden. In his hand, light shone forth. And the hands that were pierced. As David prophesied in Psalm 22, that he be pierced in his hands and in his feet. From his hand to where fire flashes. It's from his hand where light flashes forth. The rays, the power, the glory, the mercy is in his hands. His sacrifice for us, his death for us, his forgiveness for us shine forth out of his hand. Verse 5, before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. Again, coming in his power, coming in his glory. Rays of light flashing forth. I bring forth blessing and praise, but also judgment and condemnation. Blessing and praise to those who love his appearing, those who've been cleansed through his sacrifice, those who've received forgiveness those who have acknowledged their sins and confessed them and laid them at Calvary and have been forgiven. Those who have accepted the power of the Holy Spirit to change their hearts and bring them into harmony with God's word. Who have received God's laws into their hearts and into their minds. And God's Spirit empowering them to walk in his ways. Love is appearing. But those who reject it, those who reject him, those who reject his laws, reject his ways, reject his mercy, reject his love, reject his forgiveness, refuse to repent. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. The everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. All the earth bows before him. The hills and the mountains and the trees bow before him. Everything but the carnal heart of man acknowledges him as Lord. His ways are everlasting. His ways are from beginning to end. He does not change. He knows what is right and he has set what is right from the very beginning of time. God's word does not become old. God's word does not become out of fashion. You know, there's a phrase nowadays, people say, oh, that's so yesterday. You know, oh, believing in God, that's so yesterday. Oh, reading God's word, that's so yesterday. Well, it is. Because he is yesterday. yesterday, today, and forever is our God. He is from eternity. He is from everlasting. He does not change. He was there in the beginning of time. He was there at the creation of the world. He's here with us today, and he will be with us to eternity. Amen. Through whatever problem, whatever struggle, however bad this world gets, he is there. He's always been there, and he will always be there. We are secure in him. Not shifting, changing times and ways. He's consistent, solid, secure, firm, sure. He's a surety. And that's what we need in a storm. Not a boat that's just floating in the waves and nowhere to knowing where it's going, with no compass and no direction. 
In a storm, we need a sure anchor that holds us firm, keeps us steady, keeps us from dashing upon the rocks. He is from everlasting. He looks and he startles the nations. Surprised in their ignorance and their denial. Verse 7, I saw affliction. The land trembled. O Lord, were you displeased that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation. God comes in his chariots, riding high upon the clouds. He looks, he comes, rides with his salvation that he offered to the entire world. He's displeased with those that reject such great salvation, paid freely in their behalf, paid completely for them. He's displeased and he rides on his horses. He comes with his power and his might, his chariots of salvation. We can experience his salvation. We can be saved from our sins. We can be saved from our habits and our Addictions, we can be saved from our carnal mind and our carnal thoughts and our negativities and our worries and our fears. He can save us. Save us from ourselves. Rides on chariots of salvation. Why in judgment are they called chariots of salvation? Because he comes with those chariots not only to destroy the wicked, but he rides on those chariots to take to heaven his children. He comes to save those because the world will go wild. Holy Spirit will be withdrawn and the wicked will turn their attention upon the righteous and attempt to destroy and kill and blot out the face of the earth, God's word and God's people. But God will come at just the right time. God will come to deliver. God will stop it before it's too late. He will ride with his chariot of salvation. As the gospel song, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low. Chariots of salvation. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, and at the shining of your glittering spear. They will come with judgment upon the wicked. They will threaten us. They will tempt us. They will say we can't buy nor sell. They will try to manipulate and force and coerce those who endure to the end. God will come with his chariots of salvation, with his arrows and his spear. He will judge the wicked. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. Sometimes we look and we say, where is God? Why isn't he taking care of these bad guys now? Why does it seem like the wicked live so long? Why are they able to continue in their process? Why are they able to continue in their harm that they are doing upon this earth and to individuals? Why doesn't God stop it? He is going to stop it. In his way, in his time. 
He's never late. For hundreds of years we were in Egypt. Where are you, Lord? He came at the right time, at the proper time, and he worked his deliverance and he brought his judgment. Why does he wait? Because in wrath, he is remembering mercy. He doesn't want any to be lost. Even the wicked that are doing wickedly now, even those that are harassing you right now, even those that are causing problems in this earth right now. He's pleading with them still, giving them more time, giving them more opportunity. But a time will come when their hearts will be hardened like Pharaoh. And even if he gave them a million more chances and choices, they won't turn. And then he will come with his chariots of salvation to those who love his appearing and in wrath upon the nations that reject him. Verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, your Mashiach, your Messiah. Because of the Anointed One, because of the Messiah, because of his sacrifice in our behalf, he comes forth. He comes forth in his salvation for his people. And in behalf of the Messiah, he comes to redeem his own. To take us to the mansions that he's preparing for us. Is your name on a door? Have you reserved your room? Have you accepted his deposit? Have you set it on your calendar? Have you invited others to come with you? He is coming. He will come. Behold, I come quickly, he says. He is coming. And he will not delay. He will come right on time. His salvation for his people will come because of the sacrifice of the salvation provided by the Messiah, the Anointed One. Verse 13, you struck the head of the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to the neck. So he comes for salvation for the righteous and judgment upon the wicked. Only two camps on that last day. Only two sides, no middle ground. Those who are sold out totally for God. Those who have surrendered all to God. Those who are filled with his glory. Filled to overflowing. Filled with mercy and love. Filled with righteousness and truth. Have had their sins washed away and cleansed. And those who've rejected the mercy and long-suffering of God. Only two sides. Wheat and tares. Sheep and goats. Good and bad. That's it. And simultaneously he will come and he will judge the wicked and he will deliver the righteous. 
will take his wheat, he will take his children, he'll bring us into his barns, he will take us to the mansions he's preparing for us, and we will be where he is. And the wicked he will gather together and he will destroy and burn simultaneously. No second chance after that. He comes, and just as this chapter is bringing out, and just as so many other chapters through the Bible, when he comes, he delivers his salvation, takes us to heaven with his chariots, and he destroys the wicked with the brightness of his coming. Now is the time for us to make our choice of whose side we want to be on. Verse 15, you walk through the sea, the heap of great waters with your horses. My body trembled and my lips quivered at the voice. The voice of the archangel, the voice of the Messiah, crying out to the dead in Messiah, come forth, rise up. He comes the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the shofar of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. The earth will tremble and the wicked will be destroyed. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear his voice crying out to you? Do you hear his voice of invitation to receive him into your heart, to receive his love, to receive his forgiveness? Do you hear his voice of conviction showing you where you've erred, showing you where you're not following him, showing him any part in your life that's not right with God. Do you hear his voice opening up your record book to you and showing what stain is still there that needs to be blotted out? Do you hear his voice calling you as his beloved child? to allow him to come in and do heart surgery in you, to change your attitude, change your direction, change your thoughts, change your desires. She said, my sheep hear my voice. Listen to his voice saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. His voice is the same voice that said, let there be light, and there was light. His voice is the same voice that spoke the heavens into existence. His voice is the same voice that spoke the earth into existence to put everything on it. In one moment, all the animals and all the creatures, in one moment, all the sea creatures, in one moment, all the birds of the air, in one moment, all the various plants, his voice spoke, and it was. And that same voice speaks to us today. There's power in that voice. That same power can change us just that fast. 
Are you a creationist or an evolutionist? If you're a creationist, you believe he spoke and it was. He says you're forgiven and you're forgiven. He says your life has changed and all things become new and it is because he spoke it and it is. If you're an evolutionist, you say, well, I'm working on it and over time God will eventually get to me and, and I'll give this up someday. I'll stop doing that someday. I'll start doing what I should be doing someday. One day it'll happen. It'll just evolve. One day I'll have a feeling inside that I'll now want to do what I know I should be doing. That's an evolutionist. And that day never comes for millions and millions of years. But God's word speaks. God's word is powerful. God's word becomes part of our life as we hear his voice. Verse 16, I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. A time of trouble is coming upon this world such as the world has never seen. You read some of the atrocities that have happened in this world and we can't fathom it. Things that were done, they cut off people's tongues. Can't talk anymore for some simple crime or even an accusation of crime. No trial. Break your legs. Make you lame. Can't work anymore the rest of your life. That's just a simple example of what has happened for most of the history of the world. We can't even fathom that here in this country. A time of trouble that we have never seen upon this world. Trembled myself that I might rest in that day of trouble. God will give us rest and trust and faith through that time. It doesn't matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter what they do to this body. It's all just dust anyway. And when he comes up to his people, he will invade them with his troops. God's coming for an invasion upon this world. His chariots of salvation will come. Verse 17, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the yields, fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. No matter what happens, no matter if everything is taken away. Now a lot of this doesn't make sense. You say, God, well, you promised that our water would be sure and that our bread would be there. You promised if I returned a faithful tithe and offering, the devourer would not come, that our produce would, be, uh, would yield a crop. But here he says, though it happens, though there's nothing there, though everything is gone, I will rejoice in the Lord and joy in the God of my salvation. Do we just rejoice when things are good? 
Do we just praise God when things are good? Do we just follow him when things are good? Or do we praise him even when everything is gone, when everything is removed, through our grief, through our loss, through our disappointments? Do we praise him in all things at all times? That takes the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That takes a transformed, it's not natural, it doesn't happen to anyone on their own. That's a miracle of God. The joy in the God of my salvation. Three times. Yeshua's name is right here in this chapter. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on the high hills. No matter what, no matter what the troubles, they can cut off our ears, cut off our noses, cut off our tongues, cut off our heads, and I will rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't matter. Till death do we part praising the Lord. Joy of his salvation, because the Lord is our strength. The Lord God is our strength. Not ourselves, not in our own power and our own ability. He is our strength. Total surrender to him. Sometimes he allows us to go through trouble so that we become totally dependent upon him. Not dependent on the fig tree, not dependent on the vine, not dependent on the flock. Dependent solely upon him. And he'll give us deer's feet riding on the high hills. He'll take us up to heaven with him, riding on the chariots with him. God's chariot of salvation. So as we pray, Whatever area God's speaking to your heart, maybe there's some area that you need to surrender to him. Maybe there's some blot on the character that if he was to come tonight, he'd say, I'm sorry, child. I have no room in heaven for sin. He refused to let go of that. I cannot have that there. Right now, before we go further, just surrender that if that's your case. Maybe you're going through some trial. Maybe it seems like things have been removed from you. Maybe it seems like the fig trees aren't yielding. The vines aren't producing. And you've been faithful and you're following the Lord. And for some reason, it doesn't seem like you're getting that bountiful blessing. Ask God to give you faith and trust and rejoice anyway. Trust in him anyway. To claim his promise anyway. For you needing God's presence in your life. For him to look upon you. For him to reach out his hands in that light to shine upon your path. For him to direct your ways. For him to give you guidance. So we pray, ask him to guide and direct you and for his light to shine upon your path. Maybe you need patience with the evil that's going on around you and the trouble that you're experiencing. Maybe you're being harassed. Maybe evil is being done to you. You need patience to wait upon God's wrath to take place. And maybe you need God's spirit to pray, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. 
Pray for those who despitefully use us. Pray for those who cause us problems and troubles. So whatever area applies to you, maybe some other area God's been speaking to you through this message or, or that God's just speaking to you regarding. Let us enter into prayer together and let God's Spirit minister to our needs. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your holy name and we thank you, Lord, that you are coming and you are coming with your chariots of salvation. We are coming, that you are coming to judge this world. You are coming to take us home. And we are thankful for your mercy upon this world still. We are thankful that you're long-suffering and giving people more time to accept you. Use us. Make our feet like dear feet, going and spreading your word and spreading your good news upon the high hills and proclaiming from hill to hill, our Lord reigns. Lord, give us faith and trust and rejoicing in you and trust in you regardless of the circumstance and situation that we're going through. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.